today on Channel Massive Today. Gaming history, what one university is doing to protect Pong and Pac-Man from fading away. More on that in just a moment. Should game reviewers be held to a higher standard? I'll attempt to artfully dodge that question by distracting you with a Vuvuzela. All this and more on Channel Massive Today. Thank you for downloading Channel Massive today. I'm your host, Jason. The date is June 25th, 2010. As always, if you want to participate in the show, the email is mail at channelmassive.com, or you can always follow us on the Twitter feed at twitter.com slash channelmassive. And we also have the Facebook page up, which is, um, I guess, facebook.com slash channelmassive. I don't, I don't know exactly how that one works, but uh, uh, you can always find us there as well. Um, let's get started here. I got some uh, reaction uh, to my Easy Mode Gamer uh, commentary um, that I want to share with you. Uh, some of you, uh, I you know, I posed the question as well on Twitter. Um, if you you know did play games on Easy Mode, and, and if so, what was it, and and what uh, you know. Uh, did you feel like uh, you know it made the game better if you did play it on easy? You know, there. I just wanted to know your reasonings for it, and um, I actually got quite a few responses uh, that said uh, Red Faction Guerrilla was indeed one of those games uh, that uh, you decided to lower the difficulty on uh, to make the gameplay experience more enjoyable for you. Which you know, again, I just I I didn't. You know, I'm I'm playing it right now on normal, and I I don't find it to be all that difficult. Um, but you know, I guess some people feel the difficulty is out of whack, and that uh, the commentary on that opinion piece uh, that I um, pulled that story from uh, that uh, that guy does mention Red Fa- Faction Guerrilla. So I don't know, maybe I'm uh, I you know maybe I'm one of the mon- minority who doesn't find it all that difficult um, on that particular normal setting there. Um, And uh, we got uh, one response from Skopik who says, uh, yes, all the time, and yes, I play for the experience of the game, not the challenge. You know, and I guess there's something to be said for that, but, you know, isn't part of the experience the challenge? Uh, You know, that's that's really, you know, my my kind of argument there. Um, But you know, like I said, teach his own. Uh, I did get a very pointed email from from Ter, or AKA Mythos, Mythos Engineer, longtime listener, longtime uh, contributor to the show. Uh, she says, "Hey there, I had a comment about the difficulty settings commentary thing. I don't think you're a pussy or a noob if you choose to play on easy mode in a game. First of all, there are some games I do this in. There are also some games I play the hardest difficulty in." but I generally will leave it on normal unless there are higher achievements to be had. You said that a little challenge is part of the fun, but that isn't always the case. Sometimes if I'm going through a game, I don't want to be challenged at every turn. Not always, of course. There are times I love to find that almost impossible way to kill a boss on insanity mode. 
On the other hand, there are times that I just want to go through the story to see the graphics without having to keep looking behind me to see if 20 mobs are heading my way, each with an armor class of 10,500. I don't see difficulty mode as the huge opinion I'm sure a lot of people do, and it's not because I'm a girl either. This view I have is shared by a lot of my friends, both male and female alike. A world without difficulty mode settings would be ideal, of course, not just because it would cut out the 360 difficulty achievements, but for other systems, I play a lot of different systems as well, it would just remove a retarded thing in the game. Okay, I played it through on normal, I don't want to play the exact same thing over again on a harder setting. And there are so many games that I have played over and over on the same normal setting, except for retarded difficulty achievements because I enjoy that setting. I enjoy the game on normal, sometimes I even go through them on easy. Why? Because I enjoy the game and I don't give a shit if it's normal or easy. I guess in conclusion, playing something on easy, in my opinion, doesn't make you less of a gamer or a pussy, it just means usually that you enjoy the game on an easier setting. As far as being hardcore, if you play on a higher setting, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. What is hardcore? Do you bench 250 pounds while sniping someone from across the map? There's no hardcore or easy mode gamer. There is just gamer, regardless of difficulty setting. So it seems I struck a little nerve there uh, with Terror. And, and for the record, Terror, um, I, I don't bench 250 pounds while I snipe somebody from across the map, but I do uh, curl 12 ounces while I play expert mode on Rock Band. So um, that that's, you know, that's my uh, hardcore gamer mode for you uh, right there. Um, yeah, you know, I... And... I, I, you know, I knew I was probably going to get some kinds of responses like this uh, from that. And, you know, again, I, I just, I always bring up the, my issue with that is being, you know, part of the experience is the challenge and part of the fun is the challenge. You know, I'm not saying that you need to get your butt handed to you on hard mode uh, all the time. Uh, in order in, in order for the game to be good or anything like that, but normal difficulty you know they most game houses will set the normal difficulty to reflect what the game is supposed to be like you know the true how the true play of the game is supposed to feel, and you know if you 're playing easy mode it 's almost like turning on god mode and and to kind of prove this point, I turned on uh blur the other day. Uh, the racing game, and I played it uh, through easy mode on easy mode for a while, uh, just to see what the difference would be like, and the difference was dramatic. Um, races that I, you know, would barely finish. Um, you have to finish in the top three in order to place and 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 gain fans and things like that. And so, if you don't place in the first in the t in the first three, um, then you basically just wasted your time essentially. Uh, so. When I changed it up to easy mode, some of the some of the race tracks and some of the events that I did, I was blowing away the field. I was it was it was like not even close. I would I would, you know, place first consistently every time. Um, I would get like all these ridiculous kills and and things like that. And it, it was just, was it fun? Okay, yes. Okay, maybe it was fun in some in in some way. But was it challenging? 
No, and and it was it was cheap. It was like, oh, geez, you know, I just it was it was like flipping on God mode in a game for a while. Um, and like I said, the fun the fun factor. Well, you know, that's all relative, I guess. It it just, but it did feel cheap doing it because I knew that it was like there's no way I'd be able to you know do some of these things in normal mode and certainly not even come close to them in hard mode. So the the difficulty. Um, change was what i what i found it it was quite drastic and therefore i don't know it just it felt like it it cheapened it for a, a little bit for me anyway enough on that topic um other topics that i'm going to talk about today is um a university of illinois project to preserve virtual worlds um another study on video games and their effect on the children uh, we're going to talk about uh, some other things as well, uh, so stay tuned, and we'll get on with the show. Well, it's summer, and of course, if you were around last summer, you were around for the huge summer steam sale. Uh, that was just absolutely insane. Well, they're bringing it back. It's the Perils of Summer sale. And they just got some insane deals here, man. God, Steam. It's like Steam. They're like, Valve is the devil. They have to be the devil. Because they come out with these just insane packages uh, for these sales. Like, there's a Rockstar collection that you can get for, like, 63 bucks, And that has... Like, every Grand Theft Auto ever made, uh, Bully Scholarship Edition, Manhunt, uh, the Max Payne games, Midnight Club 2, uh, yeah, gosh, that, that one's insane. Uh, what else they got going on here? There's like a, uh, 2K Complete Pack, uh, where you get, like, games like Bioshock, Bioshock 2, Borderlands, all the DLC for it. MLB 2K10, uh, what else is here? Civilization, all the XCOMs even. That that's like ninety dollars. Wow, that that's pretty insane. That's almost tempting right there. If I hadn't already played most of those games already, uh, there's like a Square Enix pack here. Oh gosh, man, Bat Batman Arkham Asylum Game of the Year Edition. Deus Ex, uh, Hitman, all the Hitman games, Just Cause, Just Cause 2, and that could be had, looks like, for 75 bucks. about. There's a Star Wars collection there, where you can pretty much just get every Star Wars game ever made uh, for $75. Uh, Battlefront 2, Dark Forces 2, Jedi Outcast, Republic Commando, wow. Just some insane stuff. Oh, there's a Call of Duty uh, pack here for like twenty nine ninety nine. You get all the practically all the Call of Duty games for well, with the exception of the last one, of course. They don't include that one, but uh, wow, that's some insane stuff. So uh, looks like that sale's running through the fourth. Uh, it started yesterday and it runs through the fourth. So if you are looking for some some cheap ass gaming, uh, I say you get your butt over there and 
take advantage of some of these deals. Uh, speaking about the other deal um, with the Xbox 360 Slims, uh, that trade-in deal from GameStop, that ends on the 18th of July. And what I what I keep hearing on the street is is that um, they are telling retailers that the next batch will not go out until uh, the 9th of July. So you you've really not got a lot of time to figure out whether or not you want to take advantage of that. If you happen to own a 360 already, you may want to, um, you know, if you want to do that, you may want to go over there, place, put a pre-order down because, you know, there is a shortage right now and, and they're not going to be coming out with, uh, a shipment anytime soon. It's going to be, it's going to be, uh, you know, we're looking into July, um, before they, um, you know, start shipping them out again. So, um, if you want to take advantage of that, that's my little PSA, I guess, for today is, uh, just, you know, be wary of that. If you want to take advantage of that trade in deal from, uh, GameStop, you're, you're probably going to want to place a pre-order down, uh, now, uh, just so you can ensure that you have one, uh, when they do make a shipment. Librarians at the University of Illinois are going to archive over a dozen uh, computer games and then, uh, you know, kind of hang back and, and figure out what they're going to do next. Um, these games sweep around four decades. They include uh, Doom, uh, some editions of Warcraft, um, Space War, um, uh, games like that. Uh, some of the challenges um, that they have are um, in the, in the present preservation of the games themselves. Uh, they have uh, they're going to uh, do Star Raiders um, that was on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Um, there are like a couple problems associated with with preserving games like this. Uh, the lead uh, Jerome McDonough. Uh, who's the assistant professor of library and information science at the University of Illinois, said that, uh, you know, you, you take that example, and if you're going to preserve them, you've got a couple of problems. The first, that that game happens to be on a cartridge that's designed to work on a particular system that's no longer manufactured, and as long as you've got a hardware dependency there, you're not really going to be able to preserve the material very long, uh, what they've been looking at is how feasible it is for things that fundamentally have some level of hardware dependency. Um, even Doom has dependencies on certain DLLs within an operating system and on particular chipsets and architectures for playing. Um, you know, the, the challenge is how do you take all that and turn it into something that isn't as dependent on a particular physical piece of hardware? And to do that, you're going to need information about the platform. You're going to need technical specifications that allow you to reproduce um, a virtualization that might enable you to run that software in its original form in the future, or in other words, an emulator. Um, so what they're trying to do is not only preserve the games, but preserve the knowledge that you would need to create a emulator along the way to play the games. Um, 
and that that is going to be a challenge. I'm, you know, I'm not sure if you really need to preserve a game like Pong. You know, I mean, because Pong was basically just the thing that you you know you plugged into your TV at the time. Um, you know how you keep the components from degrading. You know that's like an entirely different you know question in itself. But um, and, you know, as far as preserving you know the code, I guess that makes those games playable. Um, you know, that's certainly a challenge. Um, I would think that you would, you know, it's kind of an interesting, you know, an interesting project. They're, they're going to store it, of course, like on, on hard drives. Um, so they're going to, it's going to be held at like some kind of central repository called Ideals. And they're using some kind of software that was developed by Hewlett Packard and MIT. And, um, you know, so they handle like, you know, large bodies of data that, um, you know, it'll help assist them track all the bits and pieces of information um, that they're going to try to preserve there. Um, I think another thing that they're going to run into is that, um, you know, what are some of the issues with the um, Digital Millennium Copyright Act? Um, you know, what can they do? What they, what can they not do? I mean, are they going to allow uh, these historians to... Um, create emulators uh, to you know for for people to be able to play these games maybe sometime in the future you know in the future if somebody wanted to play a game like uh, Pac-Man or something like that or if or even like say say they wanted to um, take a game like World of Warcraft and in the year twenty eighty or whatever uh, they wanted to go back and 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 play World of Warcraft again, or at least show people how World of Warcraft worked, um, you know, how would you, you know, because the computers that they're going to be using, like, in the distant future are going to be so far different, and they're going to work differently, and the software is going to work differently. Um, how do you preserve that kind of thing and, and make it playable, even, uh, for... Uh, generations, future generations. Um, interesting stuff. Um, I'll post a uh, link to the article that was found on uh, Ars Technica. And uh, you should give it a look because it's a very, very interesting question uh, to be asked there. I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start There was an opinion piece on Gamma Sutra, which is kind of circulating the interwebs and causing a little stir among the blogosphere. Uh, in this opinion piece by uh, Richard Clark, entitled Reviewing Games with Values in Mind, it's a kind of a different uh, take on the whole... Um, our video games art debate, which uh, was kind of touched off by some some comments by that ass clown Roger Ebert a um, couple weeks back. Um, in this article, Clark states that uh, 
Among those who engage in the admittedly tired debate of whether or not video games should be considered a form of art, there are those who suggest that the sheer entertainment value of video games both precludes and requires that the medium be differentiated from any artistic endeavor. In their view, games are meant to remain a form of amusement, and to attempt and achieve anything more ambitious results only in the detriment of a game's first principle, fun. This commitment to fun at the expense of all else seems a simple actual actually, that has the potential to end up being a denial of social responsibility on the part of both player and developer. Known more famously as the just-a-game defense, it treats video games as soulless and accidental combinations of textures, gameplay mechanics, and sound effects. The just-a-game point of view isn't articulated outright nearly as much as its opposition, precisely because those who maintain it don't see in-depth conversation about the nature of the medium to be all that important or helpful. As a result, when reading various features and editorials, it can seem as if most game writers and journalists understand the emotional, moral, and cultural relevance of a story and experience-driven games. And yet, when we look at the most foundational form of games writing in the industry, the game review, we see almost no reflection whatsoever of any such understanding. So basically, he's kind of calling out game reviewers and holding them accountable for uh, this lack of respect, I guess, as far as games being art. Um which is kind of funny, and, and another statement, uh, I think, which is kind of uh, hilarious, is that it's a shame that the average consumer must wait days, weeks, or months to read, read analysis at some of the most more thoughtful gaming blogs, few of which get pre-release copies of these games, as the more mainstream review sites do. Hint, hint. For instance, when Modern Warfare 2's formal reviews reached critical mass, it ended up with a meta score of 94, with the lowest score being a 78. In general, game critics loved Modern Warfare 2. Uh, because of the rave reviews, most of us bought the game. Weeks later, however, bloggers began, began to express various concerns about the ideas, the message, and the implicit political implications of such a game. Um, he also says that um, he finds it hard to believe that journalists doing video game reviews lack the same moral compass that seems inherent in the film, book, or mu music critic, and yet every game that manages to provide great gameplay, replay value, and a noteworthy experience is universally lauded by video game critics. My suspicion is not that these critics lack a moral compass, but that they have suppressed it for what they believe to be the good of the objective review. And so what game reviewers do tend to do is they tend, and I, and I probably find myself guilty of this as well, is that I tend to look at a game, um, break down its mechanics, um, whether or not like the user interface is um, uh, up to snuff, uh, whether the game feels clunky, whether the uh, music um, feels like it should be a part of the game, uh, the voice acting maybe, um, you know, things of that nature. You know, we, we try to break down the mechanics of the game and we kind of push everything else aside. We don't, we don't look at whether or not um, there is meaning uh, to some of these games that we play. And... 
and there is there is truth to that um and i've been guilty of that myself when i when i do some of my game reviews uh i you know i think first and foremost well are the mechanics uh working for me do the you know is it uh you know do the controls feel sluggish does the user interface uh work um you know all those technical things and i tend to slough off on you know explaining the story or um you know moral choices that uh games like even like mass effect or uh dragon age origins uh other games like uh alan wake um things like that uh but i don't think that um you know movie reviewers you know stay far stay far from that kind of path either they're they're always criticizing um actors acting you know whether the acting was good whether the musical score was was fantastic whether the um whether the art direction was uh you know was in the right place uh you know whether the uh, the actual film of the show the you know the uh camera work was was done properly for that particular kind of film you know things like that they break down movies in in kind of the same way that we break down uh video games uh so it's not like the movie industry um is you know immune to that kind of criticism as well um they they do it just as much as we do but they just focus on different things uh but you know perhaps it is time to um you know if if games want to be taken seriously as an art form uh maybe game reviewers uh need to you know start not only asking the questions about whether the game's mechanics work but also um whether there are um you know good political debates to be started up about a game what what do you know what does this particular story mean um how it might uh you know be relevant in in today's uh you know in today's society uh you know things like that so it's it's good to you know bring up that debate i i think it's a uh, uh an interesting thing although i will say this is that some games are indeed just a game uh you know if i'm playing just cause 2 uh, you know believe, you know believe me you're not playing that game for the a compelling story because there's just none none there to be had there is however really fun gameplay and and just over the top you know action going on and and that's why i play that game and when i you know i would find it hard i'd be hard pressed to do a review on just cause 2 and say well the political ramifications of a game like just cause 2 are or blah 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 and i i just i couldn't take myself seriously if i did a review like that when when i know that the story just absolutely sucks but that's not the point of that game um the action itself makes that game uh incredibly fun uh so anyway just some food for thought there what do you guys think uh do you have a, an opinion on that give me a email at mail at channelmassive.com or you can always tweet me at tweet me <laughs> give me a tweet at twitter.com slash channel massive uh we will be back on monday and uh, i'm not sure what we're going to talk about but hey join me for the ride it'll be fun talk to you guys later bye now <laughs>